Jody Vance in for Mike Smith, and it is time for Baldry's Beat. Global News Legislative Bureau Chief, excuse me, Keith Baldry is on the line. Keith, good to talk with you on this Wednesday. Lots to get to. Always great to be here with you, Jody. Okay, so where to begin here? Where to begin? Let's discuss what is being reported with regard to the deal that was pushed back across the table uh, for the BC Port Workers Union, the Longshoremen. Uh, what are they? What are they demanding here? Yeah, so uh, yesterday um, I got a leak, so did Jazz Joe Hall, so did Brent Jenks in the Global Mail, and I think other reports of what's at the negotiating table from the union's perspective. So the base pay for a longshoreman is about $48.25 an hour. That works out to about $100,000 a year. Then, of course, if you work weekends, there's a premium for that, overtime, different skill sets. Uh, the, the median salary or wage for the union is $136,000 a year. <clears throat> That's the median. It's not an average. It's so there's as many over 136 as there are below 136. So the union is asking for an 11% raise in year one, a 6% raise in year two, which is 17% over two years, plus an $8,000 inflation adjustment allowance, plus a $10,000 over two years top-up of the retirement payout, which would bring it up to $92,000. So that works out to a 22% increase over two years. Uh, for, again, the base pay is 100000 So you're basically saying uh, a bunch of people making $100,000 a year want another $22,000 a year over two years to bring it up to $122,000, uh, which is the minimum. And this strikes me, the public, which is going to be increasingly squeezed by this strike because it's tying up the supply chain or potentially it's about to tie up the supply chain, are not going to look, I think, very favorably on a very well-paid group of people wanting a significant increase. To put this in context, 17% over two years, the B.C. public sector, right through the public sector, about 183 contracts, are settling for 14% over three years. So this is 17% over two years versus uh, 14 over three years. And the 14 over three is people who make well less than $100,000 a year. So I think the public patience for this is going to run out pretty quick once you start seeing uh, scarcities on the shelves, bare shelves in, in, in stores, whether it's food or household appliances. You know, you and I have talked about this before. Um, so much of what we use every single day whether it's food or appliances, the clothes on our back, the food on your plate, the book you're reading, um, the appliances you cook on, it all they all come on cargo on container ships. They all come yeah. through the port of Vancouver, and those goods are now sitting there locked behind a picket line, and they're not going to show up on the shelves. There is, of course, a lot. Of, I think a lot of companies knew this was coming, like Costco and such, probably took measures to stock up with anticipation that there was going to be a shortage, but that shortage is going to kick in at some point, which is why there's going to be growing pressure on the federal government to get involved here and either um, impose a settlement or impose some sort of arbitration uh, because I I think the the supply chain cannot be choked like that. Correct, right? I mean, that's just... But pragmatically speaking, given everything else that that has has triggered inflation and and the the financial struggles and an affordability crisis for people across the country, and this isn't just mm-hmm. a BC issue. I want to get to a couple of clips here that we've got lined up. First, this is echoing your sentiments pretty much exactly, Keith. This is Greg Wilson, the Retail Council of Canada. We have small and medium-sized retailers who have containers that are stuck behind picket lines at container terminals 
who want the contents of those of those containers to sell to customers in their stores. All consumers bear those costs. All consumers bear those costs. Here's uh, Matthew Holmes, the Canadian Chamber of Commerce, really calling for that back-to-work legislation. This is going to hit affordability for Canadians and Canadian businesses immediately. So we need to see this uh, taken seriously, and we'd like to see the government recall Parliament and and start working on back-to-work legislation. Keith, so very much echoing what you were stating there. And yesterday when we were talking about this, you mentioned that your grandfather was a longshoreman. Is that correct? That's right. In North Vancouver, Alfie Nichols, um, uh, he was also an officer in the union back in the day, back in the 50s and 60s. There were a couple strikes back then. I think there was one in 66 and one in 72. Um, We have had strikes before. But I think the growth of the container ship industry over the years has put um, the impact of a strike on the port unlike ever before. I and mean, we didn't get as much good ship through container ships as we have in the last couple decades. And that's really grown phenomenally, which is why, again, you know, I've talked about this book that came out a few years ago by a British journalist, Rose George, 90% of everything. She spent a year on container ships documenting what was on the ships and concluded 90% of all your consumer goods um, come through a container ship. And that's why the supply chain right now is imperiled. And that's what you're going to If this goes on much longer, you, you will see, again, it's not just the clothes that you wear or the food that you eat, but there's many, many businesses, both medium-sized, large-sized, and small-sized, that depend on parts coming in, to the parts they need to to um, produce their products, manufacture their products, or simply to, to conduct maintenance and repairs. And those things also all come on a container ship. And it's, uh, I had some stats the other night, 4.3 million tons of household goods move to the Port of Vancouver every year. 1.8 million tons, stress the word tons, of construction materials move to the port every year. All the construction materials everyone uses basically come through a container ship. And that's what's sitting behind a picket line right now. And costing more by the minute, it seems. Uh, We will continue to talk about this subject. One of the things that I'm curious of and why I brought up your grandfather and all of the discussions that you and I have had about your time as a member of a union, um, when you've you've covered arbitration, you've covered bargaining, I mean, pick which subject, which which line of work, which union we've discussed over the years here on the radio. Um, How do you see this playing out if you had to do the crystal ball thing as we heard in the news you know they need to solve this today how quickly could a deal get done well given the gulf between the two sides and it's not just on the wages which is a pretty significant gulf i mean there's no question that this 17 percent over two years versus 14 percent over four is i mean those are so far apart there's no there's no settling that i think the other uh, dispute is over jurisdiction of maintenance right now the union uh, is given maintenance work for what's called ship to shore uh, according to the employer, which the union kind of disputes this in their news releases, there's been some back and forth on this. The employer says they're trying, the union is trying to argue that they should get 100% of all maintenance work, which includes everything uh, done, which basically means expanding the hiring hall. The union denies that, uh, so we're not sure exactly where the the accuracy lands on here. But that's another big mm. point of contention, as is automation. A number of ports are moving to automated uh, facilities. Jazz Joe Hull posted a fascinating video yesterday on Twitter from, from the Long Beach 
uh, a port, which basically is all machines moving around on their own, like a ballet of machines, of containers, with minimal human um, uh, interaction, which means fewer uh, human being jobs. So they laid off 600 people in Long Beach right. to accomplish this. And I think there's justifiable fears from, I think, any union uh, worried about displacement because of automation. But that's happened in other industries as well. And that may be a reckoning that's about to occur in, in the BC port system. Yeah, that modernization doesn't uh, charge overtime. That, no, that, no. That's a fact. Yeah, and no benefits for machines. Exactly. And yeah, you know, ask ask the video industry how they feel about Netflix. It's one of those one of those same subjects. Um, I want to jump to our other. We're going to open up the phone lines. If you got a question or a comment for Keith here on Baldry's Beat, of course, line up now 604-280-9898. Star 9898 is a free call on your cell. Want to pivot to the Ipsos uh, polling around federal federal politics. Here's Daryl Bricker, the CEO of Ipsos. This is the first time we've really seen, in our polling at least, the Conservative Party open up a significant lead over the Liberal Party. We now have them leading the Liberals by five points. We haven't really seen that in years. I mean, uh, basically back to before the 2019 election. Thoughts on this poll, Keith? Well, I mean, it's a poll that's similar to, I think, a Nanos poll, an Abacus data poll, which does have the Conservatives inching up in popular vote ahead of the Liberals. But there's a big caveat to this. The the Conservatives won the popular vote the last two elections. And as we saw in the recent by-elections, which took place at a time when the polls showed the Conservatives are uh, statistically ahead of the Liberals in national popular vote, the Conservatives actually went backwards in the by-elections. They won two seats. They held their two seats, but they almost lost a seat that is usually in their comfort zone, uh, Oxford right. in Ontario. Yeah. Uh, the, the Liberals won a huge win in Winnipeg South Centre, which is exactly the type of riding the Conservatives need to win if they want to form government. Uh, that's the riding that Stephen Harper used to win. They finished, I think it was more than 50% Liberals, about 24% for the Conservatives. A huge win for the Liberals and a massive loss for the Conservatives. By-elections are supposed to be friendly to opposition parties. They're supposed to do well. It's a referendum on the government. So the, the popular vote in these polls masks the electoral reality, which is that popular vote doesn't explain who wins ridings. Um, right now, I've seen some analysis on a couple of uh, polling analysts that suggest that an election mile today, the Liberals would still win the most seats, about 150, uh, because the Conservative vote is what is not what's called efficient. So many votes are so-called wasted in places like Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, where there's not a lot of ridings. But that's where their popular vote is magnified. They're basically tied with the Liberals in Ontario, which suggests Greater Toronto just as likely to go Liberal as it did in the last couple elections, same in Metro Vancouver. So popular vote doesn't explain um, where the ridings are going. And right now the ridings are largely in numerical uh, uh, sequence are in urban and suburban areas, and that's where the Liberals are the strongest, and that's where the Conservatives are relatively weak. So the popular vote, yeah, the Conservatives are ahead, but I wouldn't bet on them winning the most seats. Jody Vanson for Mike Smith, Keith Baldry, Baldry's Beat in full effect here on the program, and boy, do we have a lineup of callers for you, Keith. Let's launch right into it. Let's start with Rob in Port Coquitlam. Welcome to the show, Rob. Hi. Um, look, I was just wondering, um, what, what, do you have any guesses as to how this might impact uh, the strike might impact um, uh, organized crime, 
Because I won't. Because yeah, I mean, I'm not saying it's just Vancouver. It's, it's a port city, right? Yep. So, anyways, if yep. you have if you have some insight, I'd like to hear it. Thank you very much. I'm hanging up now. Cheers. Well, our ports are not like they were in the 50s, where there was corruption, um, widespread corruption. There's been lots of, I think there was royal commissions. There was uh, lots of publicity given to the the um, longshoremen um, port issue back in the 50s and 60s. You know, movies like On the Waterfront were largely based on some factual situations. But I think, uh, by and large, I don't think that type of corruption is, is exists at the ports. But you're right. Is, we are a port city, which means there is going to be illegal goods coming in. And it doesn't necessarily blame uh, individuals. But when you're a port, you are you have a lot of openings. And there's a lot of smuggling that goes on. And it's, um, yeah, so I'm not, I have no idea what the impact would be on organized crime. But people have speculated what is going to happen to the um, supply chain when it comes to drugs. So you recall when the border was shut in the pandemic, there was concern expressed by health officials about the drug, the drug supply becoming more toxic because it was seeking more um, ways to get across the border because it wasn't coming through the traditional means of, of border stations. So the toxic, the supply of drugs did get more toxic when the border closed, and we'll see if that's right. the case when the ports uh, shut down for an extended period of time. Having said that, I still think Ottawa is going to move earlier than later when it comes to this situation because this is an $800 million a day hit to the economy, which is an extraordinary number. Yeah, it's $5 billion a week. Uh, Mike, in Vernon, welcome to the show. Your question for Keith. Hey, good morning. Interesting It's interesting what happened with that. the numbers on that poll, and that they're, they're slowly starting to inch up. And, and Keith, you mentioned how the popular vote um, will probably go to the Conservatives, but the Liberals will probably win the seats, which is probably true. This kind of all goes back, and I think back to 2015 when when uh, Justin Trudeau ran on election reform to eat, mm-hmm. to make it a more a more fair and parable uh, uh, situation, and yet has totally walked away from it, and now completely feeds off of the fact that the situation works in his favor. And I, I you know, I wonder if the Conservatives need to really start pounding that home more. Oh, that's a very good point. Trudeau did run on that. That was a major plank mm-hmm. in his platform was electoral reform. Uh, it's interesting, though, once government, once parties get into political power, their, their desire for electoral reform diminishes very quickly <laughs> because the system that got him elected is not electoral reform. It's the first past the post. And we've, and we've had a couple kicks at the can here in B.C., and voters have rejected it. Um, at least not uh, not a, a super majority of voters have have, have rejected it. Uh, and again, I, I think it's one of these things, of, an issue that pops up from time to time, but it's of interest to political scientists and a certain segment of the population. But I don't think it catches the popular imagination in a way that um, people might assume just because popular vote doesn't explain the distribution of seats. Yeah, our news nerdiness comes into play mm-hmm. here when we stick to that in, in a big way. Yep. Keith, as always, sorry to all the people left hanging on the line. Boy, you just line them up every single day. Keith Baldry, Baldry. Yeah, we will talk to you tomorrow. Thanks, pal. I appreciate, yeah. appreciate it.